Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Okay, guys, so we're continuing on in our series on the Sermon on the Mount that we're calling Living Upside Down. And we're calling it that because what we've seen so far is that the Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom. And what the kingdom is, is uh, the world that we live in is upside down. It was created good, but uh, it is now not the way it's supposed to be. And so what the kingdom is about is Jesus, the king, coming to make things the way they're supposed to be, Uh, make them, make things on earth, uh, his kingdom. And last week we looked, or the last couple times, we looked at these beatitudes, uh, these blessings that start off Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And now Uh, We move kind of more into the main section of the sermon with this short passage uh, from Matthew 5. Uh, We're just going to look at verses 13 through 16. Let me read them for us. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I wonder if anyone watching is a runner. Uh, I'm kind of a runner. I, I run in spurts and I like to run uh, from sometimes, but other times, you know, I just lose motivation. And uh, I have this friend who, uh, he's just an amazing runner and he's always just getting out there like 5 a.m., which I never do, and uh, running like 10 miles, 20 miles. And I was asking him one time, like, how do you do that? Uh, how... Like, what makes you continue uh, to keep doing that when it's so hard? And he said that uh, he's pretty much always training for a race. Uh, He just signs up for these, like, half marathons, marathons in different cities. And that's what makes him run each day. And that made a lot of sense to me. uh, Because you, it's hard to do anything without a reason to do it. Uh, The Beatitudes that we looked at uh, last time uh, give us this countercultural picture of what life in the kingdom is like and what Christians are meant to be like. But the next kind of movement in the sermon is the so what. You know, we feel aimless much of the time, even today, right? And it's like, you know, why though? Why must we live in this way, why must we be this type of person? And that's what today's passage is all about. Uh, what are we really doing here? How is God's kingdom at work today? And how 
will the kingdom expand today? And the answer that uh, the text gives us is that uh, the kingdom will expand through disciples that are salt and light. So easy division of our sermon today, Uh, salt and light. So first of all, salt. And verse 13, it says you, and it's plural, he's addressing his disciples, uh, are the salt of the earth. And uh, in Jesus's day, salt was sometimes used as seasoning, but it was more often used as a preservative for meat, uh, to prevent meat from going bad. So I want you to consider that image when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth to his disciples, his followers. Uh, First of all, if the disciples are the salt, then that means that the world, the earth, is the meat, that which needs preserving. And what that's saying is that we live in a world, like we've been talking about, that tends toward rottenness, that tends to, that's not the way it's supposed to be, and we know this is true, but we often forget it as well. Um, you know, horrible things are always going on in our world. And often we just say, yeah, that's just the way it is. You know, that's just the way things are. And what Jesus would say is, no, no, that's not it. That's not life. That's a picture of life gone bad. Uh, so... Uh, What I want us to see is we won't do anything for the good of our world unless we're reminded that we live in a world uh, that desperately needs to change. Uh, In other words, meat will go bad without salt. So that's the first part of the metaphor, uh, that we live in this world prone to decay. But the second part is that we as disciples, when we live and act like disciples are the salt, that can prevent decay. Uh, Disciples of Jesus have the ability to restrain the world from going bad just by being disciples of Jesus uh, in the world. Uh, This statement of Jesus is followed by a warning, though. It says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus... You should probably be startled by this statement. Uh, If salt loses its saltiness, there's no use for it. It might as well be trampled under people's feet. Uh, So I want us to think about, well, how can salt lose its saltiness? Uh, The salt we know today can't really, but uh, salt in Jesus's day was really like, you would buy like a chunk of rock and within the rock, there would be like Uh, salt deposits in it that you could use. Uh, But if that rock came into contact with moisture, then the actual like salt, NACL, would dissolve, leaving just kind of like a chalky rock that wasn't, truly wasn't good for anything. Um, So salt can lose its saltiness and Christians can lose their saltiness, is what Jesus says. Uh, In other words, Christians can be useless to participate in what God is doing in his kingdom. And there's two ways it can happen, if you think about the metaphor. Uh, One is we can lose our distinctness. Uh, What makes salt uh, effective in preserving and flavoring meat is how different it is from the meat. It stands out. In other words, it serves its function by being really different from what it's on. Are we as God's people really distinct? Are we really 
different? Uh, that's the question we're meant to ask ourselves as we think about this metaphor of salt. And in the Bible, if you read through the Bible, you can see that God always uh, called his people all through the Old Testament to be distinct. And yet uh, there was always backsliding. There was always, you know, as they uh, moved to the promised land and then settled in the promised land, they always were prone to become like the people around them. Uh, the Old Testament is just full of backsliding, full of people that should know better who end up acting no differently than the world around them. And the result is that uh, the surrounding people don't come to know the true God. Uh, we have to see that we Christians, we in the church have this tendency to backslide as well, uh, to become like the world around us. Uh, we see it in individualism. You know, uh, Christianity in America is very individualistic, more so uh, than we're called to be. Uh, Christianity is actually radically communal in many ways. Um, you know, greed is a way that uh, the surrounding culture seeps its way into Christianity. Uh, our, heart, our hearts are often as greedy as the world around us, although it might show in a different way. Um, on some level, many of us are distinct. You know, if, if you're part of this Christian group, RUF, then uh, that makes you distinct on a campus like UConn in some ways. But we got to be asking ourselves, are our hearts distinct? Uh, a while ago, when I was a college student, many years ago, now, uh, I studied abroad for a semester in France, which was a great experience. And I still remember being uh, new in the city I was in and just kind of walking around. And uh, one of my first nights there, I ran into some of my fellow American students that were in my program. And they were sitting in this uh, nice little square and hanging out at night. And so I joined them and we were all just talking and sharing and getting to know one another. And uh, one girl was sharing how she had, through some kind of travel mishap, uh, like sh she didn't have access to her bank account uh, or credit card or something like that. And uh, as she was telling that story, I'm I'm thinking to myself like, oh no, she's I don't I'm like sitting on my wallet like harder, uh, thinking like, oh she's gonna ask me for money. And meanwhile, there's this guy sitting next to me who blurts out. Well, do you need to borrow some money? And I was so convicted in that moment because I'm just like, I'm doing everything I can, can to avoid uh, having to loan out any of my money. And this guy is just like, who wasn't a Christian, as far as I know, is just like, yeah, have some of my money. And, you know, I was an RUF student. You know, at that time, I could have told that girl a lot about the Bible, a lot about Jesus, a lot of what I knew, but I wasn't willing to consider helping her in the moment. I, my heart was being greedy. I wanted to run away. And sometimes people that aren't Christians do a far better job of loving people than Christians do. And this is a warning for us if we call ourselves Christians. 
if there's not much that distinguishes us, if we're Christians in name only, if the quality of our love doesn't distinguish us and the quality of our life, then we may not actually be part of what God is doing in the world, in his kingdom. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was uh, a great British preacher, put it this way. He said, there's nothing in God's universe that's so utterly useless as a merely formal Christian. Uh, That's so humbling to me because I'm very quick to identify myself with God and often very slow uh, to join him in his mission of reaching the lost. Uh, So the first way we lose our saltiness is by losing our distinctness. But the other implicit way that we can be unsalty uh, is simply not being present in the world. Uh, This might seem kind of like an obvious point to make, but I think it's important. Salt is for food. It doesn't matter how distinct we are from the rest of the world if we never interact with the rest of the world. Jesus is making the same point with the light imagery later in the passage, right? You don't turn on a light and then hide it. And this has always been God's plan. God has always uh, planned for his people to be a distinct presence in the midst of the world uh, so that many might be brought in. And it's powerful. You know, just living the way life is meant to be lived in front of the watching world, uh, it has the power to draw people in. And God's people are usually okay at either being distinct or being present, but rarely both. Uh, Christians usually emphasize one or the other, and it's honestly pretty hard to be both. uh, Because if you're really in the world, if you're really in the culture, uh, then it will always be tempting to downplay your faith. Uh, It will always be tempting to blend in. I know you guys feel that. Uh, But if you're really distinct, uh, it's tempting to just kind of like build this Christian bubble around yourself and just have life be like simple and nothing ever change and nothing get complicated. And here's the thing, though. Jesus was both. Uh, Jesus calls on his disciples to be both radically distinct from the world and radically present in the world. Uh, God wants Christians to be in all workplaces and in all career paths and in government and in media and in construction and whatever else. Uh, Just living like Christians uh, and drawing outsiders in, making life the way it's supposed to be. Uh, So I want to ask you, do you have a venue where you can be salty? Maybe it's a club on campus. Maybe it's your own family. Uh, Maybe it's a friend group. Maybe it's a dorm area. Uh, In those venues, how can you be more salty? Uh, How can you put Christian character on display more? I'll just give you an example of how this could work. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson is a Christian pastor and author from Scotland and Uh, He's just amazing, and I've benefited so much from his books and his ministry personally. And uh, Sinclair Ferguson became a Christian because he had a mentor who kind of led him to Christ, to faith in Christ. And Sinclair Ferguson's mentor uh, was uh, converted to Christianity uh, 
through knowing a woman. And this woman, uh, they worked in a big, this is back in the day, so there were like, uh, com- at a company there was like a room full of typists and they would just type stuff up all day, uh, documents and things, and you, it was your full-time job just to type all day. And this woman just worked uh, so well and so efficiently and didn't slack off. And one day he asked her, like, what, what's with you? Like, why do you do your job so well? And she said, well, I'm a Christian. You know, I represent Jesus. And uh, that was enough to get this guy started on his faith journey and to become a Christian. And he led Sinclair Ferguson to know Jesus. And Sinclair Ferguson has just had this massive impact on the world. And it's all just from this woman doing her job well, like she represents Jesus in it. You know, for us, uh, it could be as simple as being encouraging and kind, like we're called to be. as often as we can, you know, it can be uh, just simple ways of loving people that can have a massive impact uh, that make the world in that moment the way it's supposed to be. Now, Jesus' warning, that warning, it's severe about losing saltiness. And, you know, I I think if the disciples, if we could have seen them and heard them, they would have been like, "Uh uh-oh, you know. That's not good. But after the warning, what does Jesus say? This is where we get into the light part. He says, you are the light of the world. And what you need to see is, first of all, this, when it was written, you is plural and emphatic. It's like, you guys are the light of the world. Which is amazing, because if you look at the prophecies about Jesus and what Jesus, Jesus even says, I am the light of the world. But here he says, you guys are the light of the world. Imagine being the disciples hearing that. They'd be like, us? Like, how can we be, like, we're the backsliders. We're the ones who blend in. Uh, How can disciples like those guys or us be the light of the world? We're all a mess in so many ways. We all tend to blend in with the world around us. We all fear uh, exposure. And Jesus says, you're the light of the world. And, you know, where with salt there was this warning, with light there's this encouragement. God's light will shine through you as you live out life in the kingdom. Uh, Even if you don't know everything about theology or even if you're uh, Bible reading, you know, if you haven't read uh, the whole Bible, God's light can and will shine through you as you live out this life. And the way that works is this. Uh, Something you learn early on in childhood is you can't stare at the sun, right? Uh, Don't do it. It's not good for you. Uh, But one of the greatest things to do on a clear evening is just to stare at the moon. My kids love this. They, whenever they see the moon in the sky, they immediately point it out. And it's just nice to look at the moon. And you can sometimes forget that the moon is just a rock in the sky reflecting the light of the sun. Uh, as you think about the world around you, the people around you, uh, people or situations that may seem very far uh, from God's kingdom, Um, you know, maybe the darkness is very deep. And maybe what these people 
or these situations need is to begin seeing the reflected light of God in disciples like you or like me. Maybe they need some Christians just to invest in relationships with them and to go deep. Maybe they need a Christian to invite them into a community like RUF. And God says here in verse 16, Jesus says that when we're on display for the world, the world will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And what that means for us is that we need to stop selling ourselves short. Uh, Not because we're so great, right? We're not, but he is great. And and you might be saying like, I know myself and like, I don't have many good works. Uh, I've tried and failed a lot. I usually don't represent Jesus very well. Uh, I want you to, if that's you, I want you to look back at the beginning of Matthew 5, these beatitudes that we looked at over the last couple weeks, uh, these characteristics of Jesus' disciples, uh, poor in spirit, mourning over their sin, meek, a hungering and thirsting for righteousness. In other words, where does righteous living start? It starts with the realization that all our best efforts are not good enough. And it starts with the realization that, like, yeah, the world is messed up and people are messed up, but so am I without Jesus. Isn't that the message people need to hear? Isn't that the gospel? That we're all worse than we thought possible, but at the same time more loved in Christ than we ever dared to dream? And when that truth takes root in your heart, two different things will happen. Uh, First, you'll start living the way you're supposed to. Uh, You'll be more humble. You'll be more loving. You'll be more honest. You'll be more encouraging. Uh, you'll be more generous, you'll serve more, you'll care more because of the mercy that has already been extended to you. Uh, You'll show mercy to people because you've been extended such mercy in Christ. But the second thing that will happen is this, and this is really important. Uh, When you do mess up, the light of God can still be on display in you in the way that you repent and turn and confess your sin. Uh, What will make the most impact on the watching world is the way we run to Jesus with our sin, with our failures. Uh, That's what people need to see from us. Uh, That's what needs to be distinct about us. Not that we're perfect and have it all together and live this pristine life, Uh, They need to see that we found a place where we can be fixed, in the arms of the king. Uh, When Jesus walked the earth, he was as distinct as anyone could ever get. Like, he was the holy one. Uh, Anytime he opened his mouth, people responded just by being like, who is this guy? And he was as present in the world as you can get. He hung out with all kinds of people. He had a menial job for most of his life. Like he lived the life that we live. But what made him ultimately distinct is that he died for those who denied him. He died for people that mocked him. People that were prone to fall away. And what made him ultimately present 
is that in dying, he took on the one thing that we fear more than anything, which isn't just physical death, but ultimate rejection. He does it so that we can be brought into the kingdom. He does it so that we can be the light of the world. Uh, I want you to just, in closing, I want you to just think a little more about what light is. Uh, light, if you think about it, it light, is, light reveals what's there. It reveals the truth. In the light of Christ, the truth that Jesus ultimately reveals and that our lives can reveal is that God and his kingdom are so much better than you thought. We have an upside-down king, a king who serves, a king who dies. And the kingdom is where sinful, broken, messed-up people come to be healed. And there's no greater cause to live for than that. So go be salt and light this week. Go live for the kingdom this week. And may God help us. Amen.